From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I was still very much delivering on expectations in my job and exceeding them. I actually won an award a few months before my position was eliminated, so I was still very much delivering value in my job. Today on episode 79 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Camille Nisich. Camille had thought about, planned, and begun to build her consulting business before her job ended unexpectedly. She was able to turn her termination into the kind of opportunity that she envisioned. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Camille Nisich. Camille is a profitability and business growth advisor. After earning a BA from Virginia Tech and an MBA from the College of William and Mary, and then spending 18 years driving projects that turned Dell Technologies into what it is today, Camille's position was eliminated in 2018. She then fully launched Camille Nisich Consulting to help fast-growing tech companies create a cash flow strategy, make better decisions, and turn capital into profit. Camille, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you on. I'm looking forward to discussing your background, your transition, what you're doing now, etc. Now, 18 years is a long time to devote to a single employer. And then in particular to have your job eliminated. Yes. Did you have any warning that it was going to be ending? You know, I had concerns and I thought it might be possible. So what happened a couple of years before I exited was that Dell acquired a large technology company called EMC. And so I knew by putting two very large multi-billion dollar corporations together, there would be some elimination of roles. And in my time there, I had been in a role where I helped make some of those decisions in a previous reduction in force. And so I knew that it, it was possible, but I was confident in all the value that I had brought over the years there. I suspected that, again, because it was an acquisition, even though A lot of times people talked about it as a merger. It truly was an acquisition of Dell acquiring the EMC. I thought, well, you know, we're in the driver's seat. So, yes, I'm concerned, but I don't know that my position would be eliminated. However, I had already started my LLC. I was, you know, thinking that I would leave to run my own business. So I had those wheels in motion already, but it it was a surprise, definitely. Mm. And were you planning to leave and start your own business regardless of whether or not your job was eliminated? Yes. Yeah. So I already, like I said, I had I had created my LLC four years before it had happened. I was already testing different ways that I could go to the marketplace and, and run my own business. So yeah, that was already in motion. And I don't know if your audience or you yourself believe in, in manifestation or, you know, your thoughts creating your reality and that sort of thing. But I had actually created something on my vision board that was supposed to clue me into, you know, I, my business will get to the point where I am able to leave my job and I had a visual representation of what I thought that was going to be. And it ended up happening, but not in the way that I had anticipated. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So w- how did you think it was going to happen? So I thought it was just 
purely going to be a numbers game. Like I was going to grow, you know, in the pockets of my time outside of my job. I mean, I was still very much delivering on expectations in my job and exceeding them. Honestly, I had, I actually won an award a few months before my position was eliminated. So I was still very much, you know, delivering value in my job. But I said, you know what, once I have this revenue stream hit some numbers that I think it needs to hit, then I will exit the company. So, yeah. Mm. And what was the surprise? So the surprise was, you know, the timing, the fact that my business hadn't yet produced the number that I wanted to produce on a monthly basis. And, you know, you'll never know, I think, people in this position, you always kind of second guess and you, you think back at the signals that you saw and what have you. And I had done a lot of different things at that company. I worked across finance, communications, and B2B digital marketing, which is not something that typically happens. Usually you're kind of in your your one um, discipline and you kind of stay in that. But I had worked across many different. And so I knew that I was valuable. And I had my manager come to me and say, hey, I would like you to take this largely a chief of staff position, which I had done in a prior, you know, iteration of my career there. And I just didn't want it. And I wanted to kind of, she said, you can, you can either do this chief of staff role, or you can, you know, do this other discipline that we've, we've talked about. And I actually didn't want to do the chief of staff role. And so I, again, was told I was given a choice and I'll never know if I was or wasn't. I chose to not do the chief of staff role. And then a few months later it happened. So I don't think that it was, those those two things were related, but you always second guess yourself. Yeah. And now I think one of the things you're pointing to is that from the employee's perspective, there isn't a hundred percent transparency about how decisions get made and what those decisions are on the part of the employer as they impact the health, welfare, and future of the employee. Absolutely. And like I said, I had been in the time that I was a chief of staff, I was a chief of staff for three successive vice presidents of global communications. And so I had been driving projects where we said, hey, here's the number we now have to hit on our OPEX. This is the number of positions we need to eliminate. Let's go figure those out. And so I was very much aware that those conversations went on and and how the decision making went down, et cetera. And yeah, so I will always, in some ways, second guess, you know, how that played out for me. Mm -hmm. But in any case, you did move forward into your business. What was the, the time frame from the point when you knew that your job was going to be eliminated until you actually were working full time in your business? Well, it was honestly, you know, like a light switch because I knew that I I was already, like I said, in process. I already had clients. I ended up, you know, going through some different iterations and kind of tweaking what it, what I provided in terms of services, but I was already in flight on that. So, you know, from the day that I stopped working, I just started full-time, giving full-time attention to my business. Mm. And how long did it take once that light switch went off? until you felt like your business had reached some level of sustainability? You know, there definitely was almost a grieving process, right? And so while I was working actively in my business, I don't know that I fully was in that sustainability mode. Probably, it was probably about six months, you know, where I was really feeling like, okay, I am now on this path. I no longer have to think of myself as an employee who's also running a side business. I'm truly just running a business. Mm. And what was that grieving process like? Um, you know, it was interesting because you go through, you know, you get the the initial call 
And I had been, it's interesting now what's happened since the global pandemic and so many people are working remotely, but I had been a remote employee for years. So I had worked remotely for eight years and I get the call that I'm supposed to be, well, I was supposed to be having a one-on-one with my manager. And so I get on the call and, and you get surprised by the fact that there's an HR person who's also on the line and the call gets handled over to them. And so there was that shock, right? And then there was that a little bit of fear, but also just just emotionally feeling like you almost shame, right? And so I kind of felt like, you know, I got through the call. On the one hand, I feel like in some ways it forced me to get on the path that I was already on, like fully on the entrepreneurial path that I was already on. But you 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 think about decoupling yourself, you know, you were defined as an employee of this entity for almost 20 years, right? I had actually even entered there the, the year before when I was getting my MBA. So it was actually longer, a little longer than 18 years. And so, you know, you you think about all the things, you know, how your day is structured. You think about, you know, when you encounter people that you say that you, you work for that company, there's people know in social media that you do work for that company. So there's all these things that kind of have to be peeled off in terms of layers, both emotionally and just structurally. And so that process, like I said, you know, to fully get done and for me to fully be on the entrepreneur path, I felt like it was, you know, about six months. Wow. And how did that process of particularly the non-structural part of it, like the, the emotional part, how did that impact your ability to, bring on new business and really work in your business and get the get the revenues up? I actually don't think that that, you know, I already had tools. So interesting backstory. I actually had taught myself to meditate when I was a teenager because I had lost both my brother when I was preteen and then also my mother at 16. And so I had taught myself to meditate and I had those practices to kind of, you know, deal with emotions and how to get quiet and really figure out what my next step was. And that was actually how I started my entrepreneurial journey before I left the company. So at Dell, when you're an employee, if you decide that you either want to be on a board or start, you know, moonlighting, if you will, is what they called it, um, you had to get it approved. And I was one of those people that didn't necessarily want to go through the approval process, but I understood the regulations. And it basically said, you can't have any conflict of interest between what you do in your day job and what you do when you're moonlighting. And so I was very, very careful about that. So when I looked at all of the things that I did, I made sure that my business that I started did not overlap. And so one of the things that I recognized when I was in that environment, you know, working in big technology, very demanding company, there were people who had really poor habits in terms of sleep. You know, they were burning the candle from both ends. They, you know, were not spending, you know, when they were on vacation, they weren't really on vacation. So they had just a whole suite of bad habits that largely stemmed from the fact that they were in a high stress environment and they didn't know how to deal with stress. So my first pass at entrepreneurship was around stress management and sleep coaching. So I already had those kinds of practices and tools in my toolkit. And I just started to, you know, basically apply them to my own life as opposed to offering them as a service. So I, I don't feel like the, the, I felt like I was in a better place for that transition than maybe some other people would be. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that what you've just described is something that people often take years to master. Yeah. So as you started to build your business, how did things unfold and how did they how did they play out that may have been different than what you anticipated? You know, I think it took some time to figure out. So one, I would say that when you are a long-term employee, you get 
I don't know if the word comfort is the right thing, but you get used to someone else assigning value to what you do, right? So you have your compensation, you know what that looks like, you know, if you were even going to go to another company, what you would expect in terms of what you're going to ask for, for additional compensation, that sort of thing. And you also think about how your roles are defined in terms of what you do, like the actual service that you deliver. And so when you go into the entrepreneurial space, at least I did, I felt I was confining myself. I was saying, oh, well, the last thing that I did was B2B digital marketing. And I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at how I can deliver digital marketing for small and medium-sized businesses. But what I realized after, and I tend to be a relatively fast decision maker and I tend to use data to make those decisions, was that when I would get into these engagements with other entrepreneurs, oftentimes their businesses just weren't ready for, in this case, I was doing paid paid advertising on social media. They weren't ready. Like they didn't have all the other things in terms of infrastructure, in terms of messaging that they needed to even do the digital marketing and the paid media advertising well. And so I ended up basically coaching and consulting these business owners to get them ready to be able to do the advertising. And I thought, well, first, that's just not making sense. You know, I'm getting paid at a level of someone who's an operator, you know, running ad campaigns when really what I'm giving them is really consulting and coaching work. And so I very quickly pivoted and said, and even though I don't love that term because it's overused now in the global pandemic, but I pivoted and said, no, I'm what I'm really doing is business coaching and business consulting. And so that's the, the place that I need to land myself in. Mm. And did you think that you were going to be doing business consulting and business coaching? Initially, no. I knew I wanted to, well, I knew I wanted to serve business owners and that's what I was doing with the whole sleep and stress management coaching. But I did not envision it would land the way it, it, it has evolved. Yeah. I mean, one of the beauties of uh, of being an entrepreneur is that you can make changes, and especially if you're running your own business and it's a, a solopreneur business, you can change things very quickly based on what kind of feedback you're getting from the marketplace. Yes. And, and I went through that, you know, in a couple of iterations. And I have to say, even now I focus more on the consulting, even though I do coaching, I don't actually lead with it in my messaging because I feel like there are so many people who are business coaches and there's, you know, a wide variety. And so I get very, very focused on my consulting offer and my advisory. And, you know, if there's someone who, for whatever reason, isn't a fit for that, and they feel like someone I could help with coaching, then I will go do coaching. I also have partners where because of the way the partner engagements are structured, those are usually coaching engagements. But like I said, I don't lead with those in my in my my own messaging. Mm. So Camille, who's your ideal client today? My ideal client is really that $1 million to $8 million range in a technology-based company. They basically, they have product market fit, they are generating revenue, and they just need to be able to restructure what has happened to get them to that level of success and really be able to scale up. So it's things like, let's figure out how you can be more profitable. It could it could show up in a variety of different places in your business. It could be just truly in infrastructure and how you manage things from a process standpoint. You need you might need to negotiate better. It might be something that plays into your marketing. But largely what I'm doing is I'm saying you 
are not hitting your profitability targets for whatever reason, if it's scaling up, if, if it's delivering consistently year over year, whatever that looks like. And then I help them go figure out how to make those better financial decisions so that they can become more profitable. And so really in that, like I said, that one to 8 million range is, is really my sweet spot. And how long do you typically work with clients? It varies. We could do, it depends on, you know, what, what their team looks like and if their team is equipped to implement, you know, the strategies that I come up with, but it could be a half day workshop where we just go in and I do a very quick audit. It could be a longer engagement. It could be, you know, three months for me to go clean up some cash flow processes, or it could be, you know, an initial engagement and then with some continuity on the back of it. So it mm. just depends. How do companies learn about you? So I, you know, I have a, I have a website. It's just CamilleNisich.com, but largely I do a lot of speaking engagements and networking. That's usually where most of my clients come from. But I'm always happy to have a conversation. I do an initial session, so I call it a profitability breakthrough session, and it's really figuring out where your opportunities are, where whether you're ready to actually have someone come in and help you meet some objectives, and then if we're a good fit. Mm. And as you've developed your business over the last few years, what resources have been most helpful to you? One of the things that I have evolved from my corporate experience is something that I call the cash flow pyramid. So typically what ends up happening when you have, when you're not meeting financial objectives in your business is there's a breakdown in one area of the pyramid. So the pyramid is largely grounded in how do I manage my cash flow so that I have liquidity, profitability, and funding for growth. And within that pyramid, the base of the pyramid is sources of cash flow. So how are you managing your sources? It could be top line, it could be investments, whatever that looks like. How are you managing your uses? So where are you spending? And then what levers can you pull? And so that framework is how I tackle every engagement I have with a client, because depending on, you know, what kind of challenge you have, it's going to vary where the focus of that pyramid needs to happen in your business. And when you use the same framework for yourself, for your own business, is this something that you generally are able to do on your own? Or do you find that you also need help to work through these issues for your business? I definitely have people who provide services for me, you know, like I have, even though I'm very much focused on, you know, the cash flow process and how people manage that to get profitable. I'm not an accountant and I'm not a tax preparer, so I don't prepare my own taxes, but I definitely look at that pyramid from the standpoint of my business. And so sometimes it's, oh, I need multiple sources. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, I tested out a product where I was investing. Maybe that product is no longer useful for me. So I'm very much a stickler on if, if I'm not getting the benefit out of that product, I'm definitely canceling that, you know, subscription or service or whatever that looks like. And that's something that I help a lot of my clients with. I've seen many, many businesses where they, you know, they get into, you know, a subscription, let's say, and they think that that's going to provide X amount of value. And when you really look at it, not only are they paying for the subscription, but it's not in any way meeting the objectives for what they needed. And so I help them eliminate those. I call them stopping cash leakages. So plugging cash leakages in their business. And I do that a lot. And then, then we look at, okay, well, how can we then reallocate that funding to meet some of your objectives? Yeah, I've seen that so many times. You are totally correct. Now, Camille, when when you went from employment to entrepreneurship, you had already, as we've discussed, you you had a lot 
that was in place. You had the LLC structure. You had some clients already. You also were doing meditation and you had a lot of mindset tools that you used. Not everybody is as fortunate as you are in the, in that, you know, the planning and also how you were able to shift your, your own work into your business as quickly as you did. What advice do you have for somebody who is a high-achieving professional like you who's been in corporate for a long time and then becomes suddenly unemployed and wants to start a consulting or coaching business, but, but again, has not built up anything on the side like, like you've done? I would say the very first place is to just let yourself have some period of time to go through the, the grieving process. It is going to hit you emotionally. You know, you're just, again, there's just so many things. There is a loss that you had there and you need to kind of go through that process. Once you get through that and you have that first inkling of what you think you want to provide, go to the marketplace and get data on what people are charging. Because the biggest thing that I see is that people are so used to how their employer defined their value that they go out into the marketplace and they undercharge. And what happens is two issues. One, they're not going to get what they're worth. And two, they won't be taken seriously by the people in the marketplace because their prices are so low, it looks like they don't have the value and experience, which they absolutely do. And so I think that those are, you know, kind of the first things to definitely make sure that you go through the grieving process and then really go do a study in the marketplace of what your pricing should look like. Yeah, that's actually really, really great advice. Camille, what is it that you would like your business to become? I want to be seen as the person who helps get as many big ideas profitable as as possible. I know, especially in the, in the environment that we are living in when we're when we're recording this, there are big problems that need to be solved, and I truly think that the answers to those problems and the solutions are going to come from the individual entrepreneurial minds and those those business leaders and those minds need to be in a position financially to be able to get their business to market. And so whatever I can do to help them make better financial decisions, to help them better manage their cash flow and their profitability so that they truly can deliver that solution, that is what I want to be known for. Um, and I, I feel like there's a lot, especially especially in the tech space, of there's this concept of, oh, I need venture capital. I will help you turn that capital into profit and I'm agnostic about the source. And I think that most of those entrepreneurs do not need venture capital. And, and let's be honest, the vast majority of them probably won't get venture capital. So let's get creative about how we can fund your business because you have a solution that needs to go to market. And we all need to benefit from that solution in the marketplace. You just need to be able to be profitable and manage your money in a way that can deliver on that promise. Well said. Camille, we've covered so much in a really short time in this discussion. If somebody want, wanted to go deeper with anything that you share today, learn more about you or access any resources you have, where's the best place to go? 
Yeah, well, I actually created, I absolutely love your show. So first of all, thank you for your show. It is so well, it's so well positioned and it is so needed for people who are in the position that I was in. And, and especially in this environment is such, such an important resource. And so after, you know, kind of digesting what you offer to your audience, I created a guide for them. It's called seven cash flow leaks to plug before you make your net sale. And it's all around how do I better make those decisions in my business? Because again, if you're, if you're new to this space and you're going to go out into the marketplace and you're going to set some prices and you're going to deliver some services, I don't want you to be out there with the wrong pricing making sales that ultimately aren't profitable, you know, not managing your infrastructure in a way that when you look at your bottom line, it's not what you expected. And so there's just these seven cash flow leaks to plug. And I want to offer that to your audience. If they go to Camille says, so my name, dot com slash going solo, they can download that free guide. That's great. And if they want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Find me on LinkedIn. It's just, you know, it's just my name. And I would love to, you know, have a dialogue with you. We might just do it in LinkedIn. We might hop on a call, but absolutely happy to help. Okay. We, and we will include um, both the link to this uh, special offer and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Um, so you can go there to uh, get the links and get in touch with Camille. Camille, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your insights. My guest today has been Profitability and Business Growth Advisor, Camille Nisich. Thank you again, Camille, for joining us. Thanks so much. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today we learned how you can use your experiences from a long corporate career into the building blocks for a successful consulting business. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.